Credit Union. Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites, our weekly look at food, farming, and the environment, produced here in Baltimore, WEAA 88.9 FM, celebrating the 88 days of summer. More details at WEAA.org, and of course, uh, also heard on our sister station, the Marvel Public Radio, on the eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, before we get to this conversation, I want to uh, tell you that um, this is a WEA announcement. It's time for our annual back-to-school drive, and our goal is to assist more than 5,000 young people between the ages of 5 and 17 who are living in shelter with little or no opportunity of getting these items on their own. So join WEAA on Wednesday, August the 20th from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. under the tent in WEAA's parking lot at 4905 Pairing Parkway, where we'll collect school supplies, personal hygiene items, clothes, gift cards, and monetary donations for the Preston J. Mitchum Jr. Foundation. Your donation will help people, help children prepare for school. More information available at 443-885-4531. So on this week's Sound Bites, we are going to wrestle with the issue of where farming is going and what is the state of farmers in America, especially those farmers who are attempting to farm in a different way, grow food in a different way, distribute it in a different way, and change the nature of agriculture in our society. This is partially spurred on by a New York Times op-ed written by a man named Bren Smith, uh, who in the title of it was, Don't Let Your Children Grow Up to Be Farmers, uh, basically saying that young farmers, new farmers, have very little chance economically out there, uh, and that unless you're supported by a nonprofit foundation, supported by uh, some wealthy donors, that it's difficult to make ends meet and create this different kind of farming. And so one of the so we are going to wrestle with that. And he couldn't join us, but one of the people talking to us today is Don Bustos uh, from Santa Cruz, New Mexico. He's an award-winning sustainable farmer who produces food on the same New Mexico land his ancestors have farmed for 300 years. And he's a farmer trainer uh, who is a friend of Brent Smith's. Joining us also is Jenny Hopkinson, food and ag reporter for Politico, and Joe Sal- Joel Salatin, who wrote a response to that op-ed by letter to the editor. He's a full-time farmer in the Shenandoah Valley uh, at Polyface, Inc., the, f- the, the farm of many faces. He's a third-generation farmer, alternative farmer, and authored numerous books, eight books. The latest of his books is, uh, Folks, This Ain't Normal, A Farmer's Advice for Happier Hands, Healthier People, and a Better World, and wrote a response that said uh, to, to this piece. And we're also in studio here with Denzel Mitchell, who's joining us for a whole hour, who's founder of Five Seeds Farm and Apiary here in Baltimore. So everybody, welcome. Good to have you with us. Uh, l- let me f- first uh, ask you, Joel Salatin, to, to respond to why you thought that this piece was a mistake. Then I'm going to ask Don Bustos uh, to, to talk about why his friend Bren wrote it and what it meant. Joel? Uh, well, it, it was a, it was a, a mistake because uh, there are a lot of young farmers that are, that are being extremely successful. I guess what... Uh, you know, my heart ached for, yes, it, this, you know, farming is not the easiest vocation. Well, neither is launching a website or, you know, doing any business. Uh, the fact is that our our culture has not made it easy for businesses. Maybe it's never been very easy to launch a business. But uh, farming is, is um, you know, is like, like that, that there are difficulties. But uh, all that aside... Uh, you know, my concern was that it, it painted this kind of victimhood, uh, I can't help it mentality, which our culture also thrives on. And so I wanted to articulate some of the uh, ways that young farmers are being extremely successful. And, uh, and there are thousands of them that are being very, very successful. But, you know, they, they, don't, they don't go, they don't, you know, fill out grant money. They got they got too much time being entrepreneurs, you know, and uh, developing a market. They don't depend on farmers' markets. They go find their own markets. And many of them, and I, I would just let you go on with your questions after this, but sure. uh, what, 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 I, what I see are that uh, one, of the, one of the foundational principles for young, successful farmers is that very early on in the game, they don't... Um, they don't take this independent mentality. They realize that the, that the gifts and talents necessary for a successful business, farming or otherwise, requires uh, other pair of legs besides just them. And so they begin collaborating with marketers or accountants or, or uh, a finance uh, engineers, uh, you know, a, a cadre of people that have gifts and talents in which they're weak. 
and uh, and that's something that we see uh, across the spectrum that very successful young farmers uh, are not just um, independent hermit curmudgeons, you know, <laughs> like we tend to think of as as, as farmers. Uh, they, they they quickly build a, a professional professional and emotional alliances with um, you know with, with a with a help group. So let, let me turn to Don Bustos. I mean, you were brought to us because um, Brent Smith suggested you join us, having similar thoughts to his. So what did you think about the response to his article and his article then? Oh, well, I thought Brent did a really good art, uh, job of, of really bringing up the discussion of, of what it takes to be a new farmer and, and a beginning farmer. Uh, so I, I think he's done a, a really good job in actually having the discussion brought up to the national level where people could uh, engage in it. I agree with Joel quite a bit is that, that uh, there are a lot of successful new farmers out there and, and a lot of farmers that have been farming for, for generations uh, like ourselves and are proud to continue doing it. It's not easy being a farmer, but there are ways to do it. But I think what Bren wanted to do was bring out a little bit more discussion about you know what it takes to change a food system that's an industrial food system now is based on agri-corporations and how do we change it from a more local regional and a healthy food system. So I think there are and has to be new entry points for beginning farmers and ranchers, more entry points and new entry points that allow them to be successful, whether it's through training programs, through research that the government is producing, and through Western Sierra, I think there's producer grant researches. And then there has to be infrastructure in place that allows these food hubs and these food regions to be able to sustain themselves. So there has to be a way for the government subsidizing maybe not individuals or some level individuals, because I think of the NRCS grants that have been successful, and I myself have helped over 23 growers put up cold frames uh, by NRCS, a government-sponsored program. Uh, so, so there are points of entry, and there are needed infrastructure support that is needed to change the, uh, the uh, ag uh, industry as it is now. Uh, and I think that's what Brett was trying to get to, is that there has to be a way to change the system that allows more people to participate in it. So, Jenny, let me give you, I have a very specific question after this for, for, for the three of you, because what, what, what Joel and Don have said and what this piece said. But, Jenny, let me ask you, what is the overview here from your perspective? Um, I mean, I think, I think the piece raises a lot of interesting questions about kind of the state of, of agriculture right now and also the state of consumers. There is this drive for local food and organic food. Um, but, you know, it, it, are consumers willing to pay for what it's really worth, and, um, or at least for what it really costs to produce? And, and again, how do you reach those consumers? You know, buzzwords are great and trendy, but, but what does it really mean to farmers' pockets? Um, I, I mean, I do think this is something that, that the Agriculture Department is paying attention to. Um, Secretary Vilsack has put a lot of, a lot of uh, kind of effort into talking about building rural economies and kind of how to sustain rural economies. And of course, having access to markets for goods is definitely part of that. I mean, there's also a push at USDA for for young farmers and for smaller farms. Um, kind of, you know, there's money in the organic program to help farmers convert. Um, there is uh, kind of new crop insurance options that that will let you kind of insure your whole farm instead of a specific crop. So, I mean, I think I definitely think it is a problem, but I do think it's something that, that at least is on the radar um, in Washington that, that kind of there needs to be something to be done about this. And, and I, I can't speak to how much of a problem it is, but there is definitely kind of movement in Washington to kind of make these this access to market and make farming um, kind of more... Right. More of a yeah, more economically viable for farmers. So, so let me ask a couple of questions that, that, that were just raised by, by, in, by what Joel said and what he wrote, and by what Brent wrote, and 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 uh, uh, what Don just said as well. Let me just get very specific. One of the things that Brent said in his piece uh, was that in order for this system to change, that farmers have to organize themselves politically, like they've done in past eras, whereas the 1970s during the tractor, uh, uh, the uh, the tractor cade in D.C., which I remember in '79, uh, to what the National Farmers Union did, the the color farmers, the National Lines did, taking on big ag, taking on the government, demanding a change, and also switching the nature of subsidies from just industrial agriculture to being put more towards smaller farmers 
who are trying to build and build a new kind of healthier agriculture for the entire country. So what about that argument? That's what I'm curious about, where you all stand on that. And let me start with, with, with Joel before I go to Don. Well, uh, in in my opinion, uh, I don't want any subsidies. I don't want subsidies. I don't want the corn growers to get subsidies. I don't want, uh, you know, uh, Cargill or Archer Daniels Midland to get subsidies. Um, as, as from my perspective, every time the government uh, the government enters the marketplace, it skews. You know, it 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 it, uh, it makes winners and losers arbitrarily instead of. Uh, actually having innovation, entrepreneurship, and uh, uh, and savvy, you know, uh, picking the winners and losers. So um, I would be part of part of I think what Bren's frustration is um, is not that he's not getting concessions. What he sees is a culture in which the the if you will the problem uh, or the the elitist you know the status quo elitism gets all the special favors and concessions. And it creates an un, a very unfair, unlevel uh, playing field for those of us who who march to the beat of a different drummer, and um, and I think that that's you know that that that's very true. And so the answer to that is not now for all of us who have been denied the trough to uh, to line up at the trough, <laughs> you know, a, a, a new trough, a new recipe uh, with new players, but rather just let's throw out the trough. And just let us compete. We can compete head to head very, very effectively with, you know, with the the, the big play, or the status quo, the you know, the, the the big players. We can compete very successfully, uh, but it's very difficult when you have such a you know such an unlevel playing field. And Don, how how, how do you feel about that, that whole issue, especially the farmers organizing as well as the issue of subsidies? So, so the farmers organizing, I, I think that that's an important and key part. I've participated in a national kind of committees and organizing for over 20 years. And I think of three national organizations that participate on sustainable ag programs on the national level and have had impact on USDA programs. Uh, and so, so they're there. It's a matter of engaging uh, which organization you want to participate in, which holds your values to be able to advance uh, the needs in your communities. As for subsidies, I, I think I think that we, we we're going to even if even if in the perfect world we would like to do away with subsidies, but there has to be change and reform, and that's not going to happen in a course of a natural course without chaos. So there has to be some way that there is a change in the system that allows for a more healthy food system to develop instead of us to be. Uh, chained to an industrial food system that's dependent on foreign food and foreign economies to feed our own families. So there has to be subsidies in that way to change the food system. But I also think about the people that ha- are disadvantaged, the women on WIC and SNAP, and the ones that can't afford the food, no matter at what price it is. So when we think about subsidies, we have to think about the poorest people there is and how we subsidize, how we subsidize their healthy lifestyles so that there is not a, a, a chaos that occurs if there ever is a dismantling in these food subsidies. So, so I think when we talk about food subsidies or subsidies in any way, we have to look at it from a larger picture and really think about the impact it's not only going to have on farmers, but also the impact it's going to have on the communities and our fellow, fellow citizens across the U.S. And, and the global impact it would have. So before we conclude this, I'm here from Jenny to help us close out, but I'm going to go to Joel and, and then right to Jenny before we close this segment and move to our next segment, which is a roundtable of local farmers commenting on this and their perspective on this from a number of different political and, and philosophical thoughts, uh, all with people who have dirt under their nails. Um, <laughs> that, uh, uh, that, 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 so, so the, Joel, the question of subsidies, I mean, one thing people argue, there are a lot of horrible things with subsidies in America. Uh, and subsidies, to, especially to big ag, and people argue that all day because of uh, because of the waste that is in all of that, uh, and our money being spent on it. On the other hand, it is those kind of things that have allowed food to be affordable for the masses of Americans. So, how do we wrestle that contradiction? Well, the uh, the, the fact is that the that there's plenty of money in the system. Um, you know, we we shortchange for some reason in our in our culture. We think that we should be able to, you know, get good food and not pay for it. I mean, the 
the average per capita per capita amount spent on food in the U.S. has dropped from 18% to just 9% per capita uh, expenditure on food in the last 35 years. That's a that's a that's a tremendous uh, dropping, uh, and in that time. We now, you know, eat out more. We spend a lot more time on process. We've spent a lot more money on processed food, uh, you know, uh, microwavable food, um, uh, you know, Taco Bell, Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, Caribbean cruises, Las Vegas, Yuck. celebrity culture. I mean, the average American uh, is far more informed and uh, and and you know spends more on People magazine uh, on keeping up the latest belly button piercing in Hollywood celebrity culture, uh, whatever the dysfunction in the, in the, you know, the dysfunction in the Kardashian household is more important than what's going to become, you know, flesh of their flesh and bone of their bone at six o'clock. And, and, and I'm suggesting that, uh, that, you know, you can't have such a, a cultural abdication of, of, of visceral participation in the fuel for our bodies and expect for integrity and functionality to continue. You, you just can't. And so you simply have to, uh, you have to value it. You have to value it at least as much as, you know, the Kardashian household. And, and, and so and, and you're, if you're reporting on this, Jenny, where do you take this? Gosh, there's so many places to take this. <laughs> I mean, I, I, where, where to begin? I mean, I think, I think the point that was just made about, about the, the price of food and what consumers are willing to pay is so true, and it's why we're getting all of these processed foods. But even then, you know, there's the consumer backlash against GMOs and food additives and whatnot. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to that uh, consumers are, are so far removed from food production that it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to them anymore, kind of what goes into it. Um, just going back to a, a prior point on, on the idea of, of organizing, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of these kind of, a lot of uh, new farmers tend to be younger. They tend to have these, you know, kind of smaller farms doing a lot of different crops. Um, and I think there actually is some potential political power in that because, you know, agriculture right now is facing this huge problem where the average age of a farmer is, is nearing retirement, and that's not sustainable. And there is this push to get new people into agriculture. So I think there is a potential, you know, for, for these farmers to kind of make their case on a federal level and, and to lawmakers. Um, and, and you know, I don't know how it's best to do that, but, but I do think that there is, there's an ear that would listen to, to those people um, on Capitol Hill. Well, I, I do want to thank the three of you. This has been really fascinating, and I, and I would invite all three of you back uh, when you have time for a longer discussion um, from a national perspective. Uh, Don Bustos, I really appreciate the work you do. It's great to meet you, uh, at least uh, across the airwaves. Uh, Joel Salatin, thanks once again for joining us. This is your third time on our show. It's good to have you with us uh, with your kind of perspective. And Jenny Hopkinson, I want to thank you for all the work you do in Politico. You're doing some great writing, and uh, I'm glad Maryland uh, sent you out there to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> good, to have, you. good to have you. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a roundtable of local farmers to wrestle this issue from their perspective, the ground up. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites here on WEAA 88.9 FM. We are about to continue this conversation, but with now with a roundtable of local farmers from around Maryland. Denzel Mitchell is with us. He's founder of Five Seeds Farm and Apiary in Baltimore City and Baltimore County. Uh, Ted Wycall joins us once again. It's been a while since been on. Great to have him back. He's third-generation farmer, owner of Green Branch Farm in Salisbury. Cheryl Comona is with us in studio as well as Denzel. Cheryl is an Open Society Institute Baltimore Community, community Fellow who created the Greater Green Mount Trash and Recycling Campaign, which educates residents community and co-founder of the Boone Street Farm in East Baltimore. Uh, and Carol Morrison joins us by phone. Uh, Carol is a, tra- is a uh, transitional farmer who went from producing uh, for an industrial contract for chickens to pasture-raised eggs uh, and now raises chickens at her farm known as the Bird's Eye View Farm in Pocomoke City. And welcome all. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. 
You doing? And y'all can join us out there at 410-319-8888. Uh, write to us here at talk at steinershow.org. Log on to our Facebook pages. Uh, tweet me at Mark Steiner, 410-319-8888. So we heard, and I, I know, Carol, you didn't hear the entire conversation that we just had because um, all the lines were held up in our conversation, but... Um, this whole idea that, that he wrote about, that small farming is difficult because we cannot get around the issue of subsidies. We cannot get around the issue of farmers not organizing in the face of big ag. And so it does raise the question, can small farmers survive? Uh, and are we missing some things here? Denzel, do you want to start? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the article, the title of the article was off-putting, right? I'm sure many farmers— Off-putting, you said. Off-putting. Yes, right, right. You know, especially to a farmer— you know, I, I actually saw it in, in a, a farmer friend of mine's Twitter, uh, Twitter feed, um, and uh, um, but he he raised some really interesting points that um, you know people don't understand the value of food here in this country, and and um, uh, the, you know these are very low margins, high cost, high risk uh, business enterprises that require a lot of time and effort and uh, a lot of faith and ingenuity and innovation. Um, at, at the end of the day, you know, farmers are working in the red. And, you know, although that may be true, it's not completely, completely true. You know, uh, f- farming is, is kind of left to the to the the control and skill of the farmer, but also is at the behest of the environment and Mother Nature and, and faith and and power and, and ability. Um, so, uh, you know, he makes some good points, but at the end of the day, you know, there is a much larger discussion about what happens inside the marketplace, and the marketplace is very is although it's very difficult to work through. You know, we can we can work through it. I mean, I've been doing this for five years, and and um, e- um, I'm not wealthy, but um, I feel successful. You know, and, I, and I'm happy in in my choice of livelihood. Uh, that's important. I'm going to pick up on that point. Let me go next to Cal Morrison. Cal's been a while since you've been with us. Good to have you back. Your, your thoughts initially. Pardon me. Your thoughts initially on all of this. My thoughts, um, oh, Lord, I have a lot of them. I know, <laughs> not, why am I not surprised, Carol? <laughs> we could go for a long ways more. <laughs> um, but no, to the, to the gist of the thing, um, first of all, the title of it, you know, Don't Let Your Children Be Farmers. Um, I don't think that there is any gift that we could purchase that would be as satisfying as what I see in my four grandchildren when they come to the farm. Um, you know, they're not afraid of the smell. They're not afraid of the mess. Uh, they love the animals. And it, it's an experience that they get nowhere else. Mm-hmm. I couldn't purchase that same thing anywhere. Um, you know, the children are learning. Uh, they know where their food comes from. They learn to respect the land, um, the animals. And, you know, they know in the ultimate end that the animals might become food. Um, <clears throat> that does not bother them. And I think it's a very, very valuable thing that, that children learn. So any child that, that has the opportunity to be on a farm, I think they're very lucky children. So um, I beg to differ with the title of it. Uh, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I think as Denzel said, the title was off-putting. I'm going to read a piece that Denzel sent me in a minute. But Ted, let me get your initial thoughts when we jump into the heart of this. Well, um, I can certainly sympathize with the author's uh, frustrations and that he's uh, talking about in the article. But um, you know, I, I do disagree rather vehemently with his uh, proposed solutions. And uh, you know, just being a farmer, it, it's tough. It, I don't think it's. I don't think there's any business out there that's easy. Um, and maybe farming is just especially difficult to make it. Um, and uh, like Denzel, I'm rather new to agriculture. I've been farming now for um, on my own for eight years. And, you know, I've been through some really tough times. Uh, I think most farmers have. And, um, you know, I've basically just had to persevere through it. And, um, you know, I think that there is a light at the end of the tunnel for many of us maybe not all of us, and maybe that's actually a good thing. You know, maybe, uh, I think Joel was saying earlier, but, um, you know, farming takes a special skill set, and, um, you know, if you if you don't have that skill set, maybe you're not cut out to be in, in farming, and uh, maybe it's better to start start 
over doing something else. I don't know. Um, I know I had to start over a few times before mm-hmm. I even considered farming. So um, I'm just fortunate that I finally found, you know, where my skills best apply. So we have to take a very brief break. We'll come back and hear uh, Cheryl Carmona, and then we're going to kind of leap into some of the what he what his solutions were, and do we disagree, do agree or disagree with the solutions about farmers organizing nationally, and about the question of how we deal with the ag bill and what that what those subsidies should be about? Do we need that in our farming communities? We'll talk about that and more. Stay with us and join us at four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner, and uh, the piece we're talking about was written by Brent Smith in the New York Times and uh, called Don't Let Your Children Grow Up to Be Farmers. And we're joined here by Denzel Mitchell, founder of Five Seeds Farm in Apiary in Baltimore, Ted Wyckoff, third-generation farmer and owner of Green Branch Farm in Salisbury, Cheryl Carmona, who's co-founder, uh, Carmona, excuse me, Cheryl, co-founder of Boone Street Farm in East Baltimore, and Carol Morrison, who made the transition from industrial farming of chickens to her own pasture-raised eggs uh, at the Bird's Eye View Farm in Pocomoke City, where she and her husband live. Uh, you can join us here at 410-319-8888. Quick thought from you, Cheryl, then we're going to jump into the meat of what this guy said. Yeah, I would say um, I echo a lot of what I heard Denzel and Carol say about um, the benefits of farming and, and getting the experience to get your hands dirty and learn about what the food system is really like when you're when the rubber meets the road and you're there producing the food yourself. And um, the, this, you know, my first impressions were, you know, that's not that's not the message we want to be sending out there to our children. We we want we want to um, we want to attract um, people who are excited about the food system into this business. But I do think that. Um, you know, there's a lot to be discussed here, and I, I think as the more that we've, I mean, we're also in a very new project. We've been, um, we're in our fourth season, and um, I think as we're coming around the road into a place where we're operating a small business that's still in the red but getting better, um, it still it really makes us think about the food system and what are ways that we can be a part of making a change to the food system in order to make this a a business that's going to work for people. One of the things I'll read real quickly and then jump into this question here is is that um, uh, uh, this was uh, actually Denzel forwarded this to us. It's let your let your children grow up to be farmers by Jenny Wagen, who's a uh, small farmer and a, and a blogger, and she blogs about farming. And she she wrote, and I'll just read this upon. She said, "Let them know what it's like to be free from fluorescent lights and laser pointer meetings. Let them challenge themselves to be forever resourceful and endlessly clever." Let them whistle and sing aloud as they like without getting called into the office for disturbing the workforce. <laughs> Let them commute down a winding path with a bird song instead of a freeway's constant growl. Let them be bold. Let them be romantic. Let them grow up not having to ask another adult for permission to go to the dentist at 2 p.m. on a Thursday. Let them get dirty. Let them kill animals. Let them cry at the beauty of the fallow earth they just sign the deed for. Let them bring animals into this world and realize they don't care about the placenta on their shirt because they no longer care about our sh- about shirts. Let them wake up during a snowstorm and fight drifts at the barn door instead of traffic. Let them learn what real work is. Let them find happiness in the understanding that success and wealth are not the same thing. Let them skip the fancy wedding. Let them forget four years of college. Let them go. Let them go home. That was a piece of what she wrote about let your children be farmers. But let's talk about this the world we're in where big ag does dominate the world of farming with the federal subsidies, with their relationships with uh, the FDA and all the other agricultural organizations in the, in the country, where the ag bill by hundreds of millions of dollars is, leans towards them and not any other kind of agriculture. And one of the things he posits here, and I'm curious what you all think about this, um, that he posits that, Brent Smith says that farmers, as the four of you are, doing small farming in our country, in our state, should organize, uh, as did people uh, in the past, the American Agricultural Movement, National Farmers Union, the Colored Farmers Alliance, uh, they did in 1979, the Parity Not Charity, when they had a 1979 motorcade of 900 tractors going to Washington, D.C., to demand parity in all of this. Is that what we need, Carol Morrison? Is that part of what we need, I should say? Um, I, to be honest with you, I've done a lot of organizing in my lifetime. Um, Number one, farmers are the hardest people to organize. (laughs) (laughs) And I can say that because I'm one of them, and I don't want to be organized. 
Um, you know, we have a lot of organizations out there that work on a lot of the issues that, that are brought up. Um, you know, I think maybe more farmer participation is needed in these organizations. Um, you know, someone sitting in a, a setting that has nothing to do with farming and is working on an issue about farming, they need someone there to tell them what does work and what doesn't work instead of having decisions made for us. I do believe that needs to be done. But there are already organizations out there. I, for one, have no desire to organize. I'm happy being free as a bird, no pun intended. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's just we have the tools there with, that we do not use. So I think there needs to be some change there rather than creating new, you know, organizations. I would agree with Carol. Um, you know, I I am not an organizer. You know, I've I spent my young days in a, as an activist, but now between raising five kids and running a farm, <laughs> you know, I don't have time to uh, to go to meetings and talk about how to make the food system better. Um, to me, what's important is the education of young people, the inspiration of young people, and uh, motivation of more entrepreneurs to get into this system. And um, you know, and and I'm sure all of us believe in the practicing an exemplary lifestyle that's going to push push people to move forward. Um, you know, it's it's really hard. I mean, the meetings that I have to have have to be in between rows of of uh, tomatoes and peppers, um, and not everybody wants to come out there to do that. So, I I agree with Carol. Uh, it's Ted. Well, um, I'm kind of like uh, Denzel and, and Carol. Uh, I, I don't really enjoy going to meetings and being part of, part of an organization, but, uh, you know, I mean, I would just ask, you know, there might, organizing it's in itself is, is not necessarily a bad thing. I just would, mm -hmm. you know, have to know for what purpose are we going to organize. And if that purpose is to, you know, try to secure funding for whatever to, you know, like uh, the, the first uh, segment was talking about filling the trough, you know, that's not really for me. That's not something that I want to organize for. Um, but, you know, I mean, it just depends. I mean, if we we're organizing for, you know, farmers' rights or whatever, then, yeah, sure. I mean, there's there's good reasons to organize and, and then other reasons. So, you know, I, I could go either way, but uh, I personally don't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a question about these uh, there's hard to organize people that you are here. But Carmen, go ahead. I mean, let me sure go ahead. Um, yeah, I think that. Uh, you know there are ex there are organizations that we can participate in as farmers that can help us help to educate us and um, and I really appreciate those farmers that have had experience that come to those meetings and share what they've learned about how to grow food and that's that's a really important uh, legacy that we need because we need to learn from those that are in front of us that have have done this done this work in sustainable agriculture and um, are learning every year from the pests and the environmental conditions that we're growing in, um, you know, what it, what it takes to grow sustainably and to create a, a um, profitable business. I do feel that, you know, there could be a little more support there maybe, and in the, in the, I think Carol mentioned mentorship is, is probably needed for especially young farmers who are coming into the business. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of of the bigger problems that we're talking about with the food system, um, there's, I think that there, there is going to need some kind of, we're going to need some kind of greater organizing. And I, I do think there are a lot of nonprofit organizations out there that are doing work around the food system to try to help change, you know, our markets and um, build the infrastructure we need to have this sustainable agriculture system work. So let me pick up on what you just said here. So this is the question I have. I mean, this part of the question that he raised in this article. When, when, there's so many levels of this. I'm trying to figure out where to begin this because, but, but part of it has to be. I know farmers are an unorganized or an unorganizable lot in many ways because all of you are very independent. Uh, whether you are libertarians or on the left wing, you have a very independent view of the world and what you have to do because you're electricians, you're carpenters, you're everything you need to be mechanics Botanists, and farmers, whatever right, you have to be. Right, right. That's what you are to be a farmer, right? right? You have all those things and you work your butts off, mm -hmm. but. The other hand of that is, what I think what he's saying in the article is, that if farmers don't organize, 
then this will become the world of a very few people feeding just a few wealthy people because the vast majority of farming goes to the subsidies go to industrial agriculture. They're not, and he's arguing that in the past, farmers organized as a group to confront the industrial farms. They didn't take over their farms and take over the entire world of agriculture. Now, is that making too much of the 21st century? Does that have to happen or not? It was, that's, that's one of the points he was making. I think got lost because of the way he began his article. I think a stand needs to be made. And whether that be farmers, um, you know, partici- participating in uh, targeted events, uh, you know, numbers, uh, being there, I, I think those things are doable. But to start up a whole new organization of farmers, I think you're climbing a mountain. <laughs> I really do. Uh-huh, I mean, you uh-huh. know, I. <laughs> it's kind of like telling industrial ag they have to change. Hmm. You know, it just isn't going to happen. Um, so. I think if we could work with organizations that are already out there working on these issues and, you know, we can learn from them. They can. I always say let the farmer farm, let the organizer do the organizing and bring it all together. Yeah, Um, I just wanted to add. You know, I I think that is doable. And I do think that there can be targeted events, um, you know, where farmers show their strength and take a stand. Um, but to do it full time and try to farm is an impossible task. What were you going to say, Sean? I was just going to say, I think that one thing that I think that this article raises is that the farmer's voice needs to be there at, at the, at the helm with these Mm -hmm. organizations that are doing this work to change our food system. And that might be a piece that is somewhat missing because we all are really busy and over committed and, don't have that extra time to put in to, to helping to organize. But maybe that's a piece that's missing is where, totally where's the you. farmer's voice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Ted, one of the things you, you've, you've said to me in the past is that, is that um, you know, that you get along and work and cooperate with farmers all around you no matter what kind of farming they're doing because I, mean, I think that one of the things maybe people make a mistake is kind of claim that people who are involved in an industrial system as farmers are not farmers for some reason. When they are farmers, that's how they make their living because that's the way living is made in this world. Mm-hmm. But can't, but, so, but, but Carol, you, kinda, you walked away from it and created something brand new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ted, you walked into a farm that belonged to your family and reinvented it and made it work. Um, as a small farmer and have your own little market and, 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 and sell to restaurants and human beings and have a CSA. But the question is, is that where this lives? Is, is that what this guy is saying, that the only way to survive is, is to have this, as other industrial farmers would say, and they would say to you, as it would say, that you're a niche farmer, you're not a, not a farmer like we are? I mean, is, is that where it has to live because there's no way to change it? Well, there's an argument there as to what kind of farmer you want to be. Um, I think it's a personal choice, you know, as whether you're going to be an industrial farmer or you're going to be an independent farmer. Um, that's a choice that each farmer has to make. Um, I think it's it's not the farmer that needs to change. I think it's the whole system of food that needs to change. Um, you know, and education of the public. Let, let's take chicken, for example. How cheap is that chicken that comes from industrial ag when you add up the real cost. Mm. It's no more cheaper than the organic farmer or, you know, the pasture-raised farmer um, selling their chickens. And I think that point needs to come out to That's important. consumers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is not ever equated for people to understand that, no, that chicken is not cheap. And I'm not just picking on mm-hmm. chicken. It, it's all no, no, right, right. right, right. So, so, right. so, Ted, let me ask you a question. I'll go to Denzel with this after you. Is is so? I mean, does does that what part of what he's calling for is that then then there has to be something to level that out so people can afford the eggs and afford the chicken that are farmed by folks like you, or is there something else that has to happen? Well, I'm not really sure. I, there's kind of a couple of different threads here. I'm not really sure which one to follow. Um, Any, anyone you want, brother. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I mean, as far as food goes, uh, you know, we make food affordable for people that, that need to have affordable food. I've, I've given away 
a substantial amount of food every year. I mean, like, I, you know, on a regular basis. And um, so we give a lot to charity, and, uh, you know, that's for folks that can't afford it. And there's other sources, there's other places to get it as well. Um, but uh, as far as, uh, you know, the idea of changing the food system to get away from industrialization, uh, I would say that uh, a couple of things on that point is that, um, you know, the, the food system is a reflection of what the consumers want. So, you know, this, this giant food economy is, is, at least theoretically should be, a reflection of what the desires of the people that are going to eat the food are. And, yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind being called a niche farmer. I, I think that the food system could certainly be a lot more organic and a lot more free-range and a lot more sustainable, but, you know, that may come in time. Uh, right now, I might be a niche farmer, and I'm happy with that because, you know, I'm just happy that I can supply the food that the, the customers are looking for. And, and, you know, if we all did that, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the food system is going to reflect the desire of the people. I mean, it's the ultimate form of democracy. Now, it, there is distortions in that because we do have a subsidized, uh, you know, agricultural economy. So, you know, we grow a lot more corn and soybeans in this country than we probably ever would under a natural system. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But because we have this subsidized uh, part of our agricultural economy where, where there's subsidies given to certain um, uh, commodity crops, um, you know, that might be why the Secretary of Ag back in, I guess it was 1980 or so, said get big or get out because you know, the bigger players are going to be able to harvest a lot more subsidy. And the thing is, is if we go interfering in the alternative agricultural economy, which is the organic and, and small scale and, and free range and, and so on, if we go interfering in that with subsidies, it's going to distort it terribly. And it's, the thing is, is that in order to help those that are, let's just say, having a, a harder time than others making it in farming, and Making it in farming is certainly possible. It's difficult, yes, but it is certainly possible. I mean, I'm proof. I think all of us here today are proof of that. But, you know, if we were actually to subsidize or help those that are not able to make it, I think the consequences of doing that would make it just worse for everybody that has been able to make it. Hmm. It would would just, it would make it harder for all of us that have actually been able to do it. So I think, you know, I really do think it's a bad idea. Um, So, anyway, hopefully... uh, Really makes sense. No, no, no. This is interesting. Denzel, how, how do you think about that? Or respond to that. Yeah. Well, one one point uh, that you brought up took me back to uh, uh, Joel Salatin's comment, which he said before about removing the trough. And I, I believe many farmers, many small scale family family farmers, ha- take that position that we can, as niche farmers, family farmers, you know, independent entrepreneurs, can effectively compete in the marketplace if you remove the subsidies because then you see where the real value is because right. at the end of the day humans can't eat soybeans they can't eat corn they want potatoes they want pork well, they, they can't want eat that those and those corn but yeah they, they can't yeah, yeah they can't eat they <laughs> right. can't eat that stuff that they're growing right right um got me excited i was about to curse uh, <laughs> please, no, get us here, please. <laughs> um, um, and so, and so, like Ted said, you know, we'll, you know, we then will see where the value is amongst our communities, and and our, you know, our real drive here is to provide food for our communities. You know, it's not to feed the world, which is exactly. the other big ad conver- conversation. It's about it's to feed our communities, and my community is hit in here in Baltimore all the way down to D.C., just like there in Southern Maryland, and us working together as a team are, are helping to provide food for the whole state. Well, let mm-hmm. me ask you for this question, because farming is a, is, a, is, a, is a tough world. It's not an easy world, mm-hmm. um, and it never has been. So I'm thinking about this article. I'm just very curious. Your own, if you want to talk for a second just about your own trials and tribulations, it's fine. But would you encourage your children to be farmers? I definitely would. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so much, I think, you know, we're looking at a very, a point in time in a very, a world that's changing in agriculture and in the sustainable agriculture world. And so even though it it appears and and, and through this article, you hear that the the trials and tribulations that farmers go through to make a a sustainable business, um, it's going to be 
there's going to be so much that we're learning from this moment in time that mm-hmm. going forward, things are going to get better. Um, you know, going back to his to talking about, you know, this is what we currently have in our food system is a reflection of what the consumer wants. I mean, it's it there is a that's a, that's a big piece of how we're going to have to change the food system is educating the consumer about what it takes to produce food year round and how, you know, a sustainable or a local farmer in Maryland is not producing, you know, all of the fruit that we want year round. It's it's very seasonal. So even, you know, there's lots of little little pieces that are going to have to occur in order for the food system to change and I think that there's a lot of promise. Um, I'd, I'd like to go ahead, Carol. Make it make a make an example here. Um, when we were raising chickens under contract, um, it came to the point that my husband and I both had full time jobs off the farm. We were also doing corn and soybeans. Um, we had to give that up because there weren't enough hours in the day. Um, my daughters were never interested in farming, um, and our son, who grew up on the farm, who always wanted to be a farm farmer, we forced him off of the farm hmm. because there was not a living to be made. Now that we have switched over to what we are doing, I've brought my son back to help huh. on the farm to make a living. And we're not finished. I mean, we're just beginning. So I think the example there is is that the industrial situation, a farmer's not going to make money and the family's not going to stay on the farm. There is not a living to be made. However, doing what we're doing now, a living can be made and the family can be brought back to the farm. That's so interesting what you say, Carl, because I'm, I can, not all, but I would say the vast majority of farmers who farm inside the industrial system, who make a living growing chickens and growing soy and corn or whatever that is, really decent men and women that I've had a chance to interview over the last four or five years in this program, the majority of them say, I wouldn't encourage my son or daughter to be a farmer, though there's a couple who said they would and their sons are out there working, mm-hmm. and daughters. But, so, but that's interesting. There's a different, how do you think the mindset that you all bring to this world of agriculture could be changing the way Americans look at their food and farming. Let me start with Denzel and, and, and slide over to Ted. Mm. How, do, how does our mindset change? How, 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 is it, how do you think that, do you think what we're doing, the world you are in, is changing the mindset of America? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, um, you know, the article does make the point that um, the, the people that we come in contact with rather directly or indirectly through our food are inspired um, they, they, they do celebrate this work and um, there is a place at the table for farmers whereas I felt like when I was growing up there, there wasn't you know the farmers were these unnamed uh, faceless people. I wouldn't even say heroes. You know, people. You know, nobody talked about where the food was coming from. And so, I I do believe that the way society is changing. You know, there there is that conversation about these people and what what they do. What you know, whether they're industrial or small scale farmers. That you know that 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 is an occupation. Um, and there's a couple of different directions you can take. So yes, I I do believe what what we're doing in our mindset is changing society. I mean, you know, social media has a lot to do with that and the presence of farms, farmers all over the world, really, and keeping that conversation, you know, at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Ted? Well, um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the small farmers are actually, like, boots on the ground. They're at the farmer's market, talking with the people mm-hmm. that are buying their food, interacting, uh, educating, and so I think that's a huge component of it because, you know, the more people that understand what we do and how, and how it might be different than other choices in, in, that they could make uh, in feeding themselves and their families, um, like Denzel said, it's, uh, you know, it kind of inspires them a little bit to think more about food and how it's raised. Um, it lets them know that it's just not all the same exact thing, that there are differences. And those differences can be really exciting. 
Um, there's a lot of different reasons to get excited about about what we do as small farmers. There's a lot of reasons. So I think, you know, in time, um, the more people that learn about this, um, experience it, uh, taste the difference in the food, see the difference in the food, um, and learn about what goes on at the, at the farm level, um, you know, I, I just think, and this is the reason why I would certainly encourage my children to get into farming is because, you know, when people understand it, I, I just don't see how there's any other way but for this, this small farm movement to grow. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing for, you know, yeah. for our country and for, for, you know, for everybody. Yeah, you know, he so, made that. Uh, oh, sorry. So, sorry. It's just, you know, I just, I, I think it's a positive, it's a positive movement, and I, I, I just, I just hope that it stays that way and remains untampered with. And, and, I, and we have, you two in the studio here, we have like three minutes left, so we'll let you both get a, a jump in here. And let me just say that we're talking about the future of farming. Your f- farm is called Five Seas Farms, Denzel, mm-hmm. which is after your children. Right, 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 so, right, okay. right, right, right. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. You know, he made a point about college. And, um, um, you know, the skills that I have now that I've gained over the last five years as a farmer, I have put to practice and feel that they're much more useful um, and much more important to teach to my kids than half the stuff that I learned in college. Mm-hmm. A final closing thought from yeah. Sean, do you want to I think that um, you know, being in the city and having the opportunity to grow food in the city has really given us a unique perspective on um, you know, the ability to host volunteers at the farm and to host elementary school students who do a garden club and so we've really gotten to see the enthusiasm that's 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 growing around the local food movement and and I think one of the greatest values that people can get from volunteering on the farm is to just get the experience of how much work it takes to grow food and to learn an appreciation and a value for food that I think just doesn't come from buying it at the grocery store. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, and you all are really fascinatingly interesting. We look forward to having more of these farmers roundtables. I think they're important for people to hear. Uh, Cheryl Camone, you just heard, is co-founder of the Boonstream Farm in East Baltimore. Uh, Ted Whitecaller is third-generation farmer and owner of Green Branch Farm in Salisbury, Maryland. Denzel Mitchell is founder of Five Seeds Farm and Apiary in Baltimore City and Baltimore County. And Cal Morrison is uh, the Bird's Eye View Farm in Pocomoke City. Thank the four of you so much for being here on the Mark Steiner Show on Soundbites. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Good to have you all with us. And uh, thank you all for listening to this part of our program. I uh, hear the Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites reminding you that the Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, is helping its members and its community prosper. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. More information, www.mecu. Com. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our producers are Stephanie Mavronis and Mark Gunry. Our engineers are Andre Milton. Our interns are Maggie Dyer, Sianna Greaves, and Sam Saper. You can hear the show and podcast our past shows by visiting us on the web at steinershow.org. You can also listen to and download our podcast on iTunes on your favorite podcast app. For Public Radio, Delmarva and WEAA 88.9 FM, celebrating the 88 days of summer, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care. <laughs>